Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors. So glad that you're with us today. So if you're watching for the very first time, if you're a guest with us online or you're a guest with us in here, we always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. Here's why, as I know, when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. So uh, our hope is that you would come back uh, multiple times, and hopefully we could be your spiritual family. That's my goal, and uh, and hopefully our goal as well. If you are watching online, I want to encourage you, come back. Everybody say, come back. Look, it's awesome that you get to watch it online and be digital when you can, but let me just tell you, there's nothing like being in the house of God. I always tell people all the time, like, I could see a postcard of Hawaii, but ain't nothing like putting your toes in the sand. And so, uh, man, I encourage you to come back. It's been safe. Uh, we see so many new families and so many new, uh, really, all, old, honestly, old faces coming back into church. We're so glad that you're doing that, and we're glad that you are with us. I always tell people, if you go to Walmart, you can come to church. So, come on. It's, uh, you probably get a better experience here, so hopefully that's my... That's my job. So, uh, but we're so glad that everybody's with us. Hey, we are in the middle of a series called Summer at Rise. And uh, one of the reasons we do this every year is kind of one of my favorite times of year because number one, the sun comes out, which I don't know if Texas got the uh, memo yet, but we want the sun to come out. And so it's supposed to be summertime. So I think it's coming up. Thank God. And uh, I'm tired of the rain, but uh, we're, we're excited because we, every year we get to do this and I get to pick kind of random topics really is really things I feel like either don't fit into a sermon series or, um, you know, just something I had on my heart. And uh, and so we're going to talk about something unique today. And I know what I'm doing uh, because if I could choose it, I felt like God asked me to speak on this because if I could choose, it, I really wouldn't teach on it because there's some topics that I don't teach. I don't really like teaching on in uh, church because primarily you guys don't look at me very nicely when I teach it. And so um, it's just being honest. And so sometimes the spirit of the house gets kind of weird and funky uh, because, you know, we, we just kind of... Just different topics will do that. Forgiveness does that, by the way. Anytime I teach on forgiveness, people are like, oh, I don't want to talk about this because I'd much rather just keep a hold of everything I'm holding on to. And so even though you know it's not good for you. But today we're going to talk about uh, one of those topics today. But I'm excited because I feel like God has something to speak to us about. We're going to talk about today, rejection. We're going to talk about rejection because I think that what's interesting about life, and I've noticed, is that you and I live in the world. And I don't know if you know this or not, but there's people in the world. And people can sometimes be kind of crazy, right? And so if you're not careful, sometimes in our relationships and our connections, sometimes we can feel rejection when it's not there. Sometimes we can feel rejection when it is there in an accurate way. Sometimes we can actually feel rejection that was there, but we make it into something worse than it was. Come on, how many of y'all know your mind can do some powerful things? And so what I want to do is hopefully maybe shed light on some maybe healthy ways to deal with rejection as a Christian. That's my goal today. So 1 Samuel chapter 16 is where we're going to be. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Before we get there, I want to give you some context about the book of Samuel. So the Bible, if you don't know anything about the Bible, Bible Bible is broken up into two major parts, Old Testament, New Testament. In the first part of the Old Testament, it starts off with Matthew, Mark, Luke, or not Matthew, that's New Testament. What am I talking about? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's what they call the Pentateuch, or it's the first five books of the Torah. And so what we, we, we kind of have that as the first part of the Bible. Then it gets into like um, some interesting uh, parts. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It goes into Joshua and Judges. And in Joshua and Judges, you start to see uh, the children of Israel. So like in the first five books, you see the children of Israel come out of Egypt. They get, they're freed from slavery. They go through the Red Sea. They walk in the desert for 40 years, and then they kind of eventually get into the promised land, Joshua and Judges. And then you start to see that the, the children of Israel start to become a nation, and they're starting to figure things out. But they don't have, judge, they don't have a, a, a legislature. They don't have a king. They really have what's called judges. And so judges were appointed to kind of help dis distribute and decipher the issues between the people. And then that didn't work. And so what you see actually happen in the first part of Samuel, you see uh, the, the Philistines or, you know, kind of the bad guys of uh, 
the enemies of Israel come and they take the Ark of the Covenant, which was something incredibly important to the children of Israel. They have a big battle. Then a bunch of plagues come. They actually say, oh, that was a bad idea. They bring it back to the children of Israel. And then after that, the, 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 the Israelites start to ask Samuel, who is a chief prophet in their time, for God to give them a king. Now, in the book of Samuel, you have 1 Samuel and you have 2 Samuel. It's actually used to be historically one big book. They separated it so they can kind of get different ideas. The three main characters are Samuel, the prophet. Uh, you have Saul, the king, that they wind up finding. And then you have uh, David, who kind of comes, uh, kind of has his rise of fame in from uh, just being picked and actually being in the even in the the court uh, of the king of Saul. And so in First Samuel chapter sixteen, we pick it up where Samuel has now been given the charge to go find a new king because Saul messes up. He has two major issues. You know what his two major issues are? These are guy issues. We have an issue with pride. Come on, guys, y'all know that. Like we all think we're better than we are. It just is what it is. Like that's kind of part of the reason why we try to conquer and try to take over everything is because well we got pride issues. And then the second thing was, was disobedience to God. And he realizes, and God realizes, and Samuel realizes over a period of time, Saul is no longer fit to be king. So Saul, Saul, Samuel is asked by God to go find the next king of Israel. Now this is what's crazy. It's like the full on, like American idol search. We're trying to find the next king. Like it's a, you know, Israel idol, like Israel king of the, you know, the, the Jews. That's kind of what they're trying to find. And what you see is Samuel gets to, he's actually called to go to a city called Bethlehem to a man named Jesse. And God actually says, you're going to find the next king in this family. I mean, that's amazing, right? So that's where we, that's kind of the context of what's going on. Y'all know where I'm at. Y'all say, everybody say, okay. Everybody say, I got you. All right. So I'm thankful we get context to this. Sometimes we just be reading scriptures and we don't know what they mean. All right. So now you know what's going to happen, what's going on. So we pick it up when he's literally about to look at all of the sons of Jesse. Verse six says this in chapter 16. It says, when they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So Eliab is one of the sons in verse 7. said, But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. There's that word. Come on, y'all. Like, we just, you're going to see rejection all up in this story. So you see rejection from uh, that God has rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Come on, how many of y'all have heard that verse before? You're just like, thank God that you look at my heart and not as the way man looks. And because men sometimes see the wrong things, but God, you see my heart. That's why you always get up that thing like, they don't know my heart. You know, I wish they would just see my heart, you know, and like they can't see your heart. They ain't no heart surgeon. So anyway, uh, verse eight says, so Jesse called Abinadab. So you got another son that comes and made him pass before Samuel and see, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Rejection. Boom. Sorry, that ain't him. And then verse 9, it says, then Jesse said to Shema, he said, okay, all right, it wasn't my, my, I kind of feel like Jesse was picking his favorites, you know what I mean? He's like, well, we're going to try Benadab, and now we're going to try Shema, and he's kind of picking up all the Eliab, and so he gets to his third most favorite, and Jesse passes him before, and Samuel says, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse had made seven more of his sons passed before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So he kind of gets through all of his sons, and he gets confused, and Samuel's like, God, you told me to come to this family. He said the king was going to be in this family, and for some reason, we've seen the whole family, and they know the king ain't here. And he goes to Jesse, and he says, are these all of your sons? Like, is this everybody? Because... These jokers that you just kind of brought out to me, they ain't, they ain't the king. And he says, reminds back to him, Jesse says, well, there still remains yet the youngest, the runt, the forgotten one, the one that no one ever picks in kickball, a gym class. 
There he is, keeping the sheep. Interesting story of rejection in so many ways. And I was reading it, and I was thinking, God, what, what do we do? You know, like, what do you do when you feel rejected by the world? What do you do when you feel rejected by your family? What do you do when you feel rejected by God? I mean, feelings are interesting, right? They can really make you feel like something's really going on when it ain't really going on. How many of y'all know that, right? Your brain is incredibly powerful. It's almost eerie how powerful it could be. And if we don't know how to deal with rejection, you can start living from rejection instead of from love. And when you start living from rejection, it'll mess with your life. And so my goal is to maybe dig up some of the wounds that you have in rejection. So you're not going to like this message. Just a heads up. Probably won't amen me much. But it'll be good. It'll be okay. I'm a big boy. I got big shoulders. I can handle it. Um, but my hope is that God would, would help heal those things today. That would be my hope. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Lord, I thank you that today you have a word for us. And I thank you that today, God, as we speak your word, you're going to give us um, a sense of, 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 of wholeness completeness of utter acceptance in your kingdom. I thank you for this today in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Um, you know, depending on, here's what I realized about rejection. Rejection hurts more when it comes from somebody you love the most, right? So if you don't really care about that person, they reject you. You just kind of go, oh, 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 you know, sorry. I mean, it just is what it is, you know, but if you really love them and you really want their acceptance, you really want their love, come on, it could hurt to feel or see or, or operate in some level of rejection from them. I mean, it could really hurt. And for me in my life, the number one person I want acceptance for, at least on this earth, is my wife. I need my wife to accept me. Honestly, at the most of the time, most, of, most people reject me anyway because I'm kind of crazy. But as long as I have my wife's on acceptance I'll be okay but there are times in my relationship with her that she gives me what is the opposite of acceptance acceptance and you would guess it that word is rejection and so um there are times because I've noticed about myself and my personality I can be what they call dramatic everybody say dramatic you know this because if you've been here longer than one service, you know exactly what that means. You're like, Pastor, that's not a surprise to anybody but you. We know you are dramatic. And so I can get into the trouble being a dramatic person that I can do things like call what they say, call they, they call it uh, crying wolf, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like what your mom said, like when you cry wolf. like And what that means is it's like when you act like something's a big deal and it's not a big deal and then we find out it's not a big deal, we're not going to treat the next time that you have a big deal, that you act like a big deal, is going to be a big deal, even though it might be a big deal. And now that we didn't act like it was a big deal, it's a big deal. You see what I'm saying? It could be a big deal. And so for me, um, I get into these modes where, where sometimes I, I can overreact. I can maybe overanalyze. I can get into something. It's kind of just the way I'm wired. And um, about a couple years ago, my stomach was starting to hurt. And so I thought, you know what? Went to the doctors. Couldn't find anything wrong with me. Uh, you know, I did all the Google research, you know, obviously, because if it's on the Internet, it's real and it's true. So, you know, I did everything on the Internet. And so I'm like trying to figure out what's going on. I found out that I might have a gallbladder issue. So I did what I, I, I tried to do because I'm a homeopathic kind of guy. I really like to be, you know, very organic. I like to try to do natural. I'm like, God created the world and the earth and the herbs and the natural spices. And so I'm going to try all these things. And so I went to this website. Multiple people told me that if you do a gallbladder, natural gallbladder flush, it will help your, your gallbladder issue. So I did my best research and I found the best gallbladder flush. Come to realize it was basically ingesting as much olive oil, grapefruit juice, and herbs and spices that you can. You make this kind of 
liquid concoction and you put it into your body over a certain period of time and eventually it'll flush you out. Well, I did never done this before. You've never done this before probably because, well, you're normal and I'm not. And so I tried this thing. And so I sat down and with my, you know, jar of uh, olive oil juice and I started to drink it. And the first couple of times I was like, this is not a big deal. I'm good. This is fine. But as I'm sitting there drinking this, I realize I start to become woozy. I start to be, now when you're sitting and you're becoming woozy, that means there's something wrong, right? Another thing where you stand, you're walking around, I'm sitting and I'm becoming, I feel like I'm on a bow of a ship and the, the, the waves are kind of going, you know what I'm talking, you ever felt like that before where you just kind of, I'm like rocking back and forth? My wife's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know. And so I'm just, I'm so, but I keep drinking it like it's going to flush me out. This is going to help me. I'm going to push through. I'm going to power through, right? Come on. Like sometimes you got to power through things. So I'm getting, drinking more of this stuff. I start to feel worse and worse eventually. And so I start to like start to feel lightheaded. I'm starting to panic a little bit. So you know what you should do when you feel lightheaded? You stand up. So that's what I did. I stood up and I started walking around like a crazy person and I'm like feeling the wall and she's like, and you know, my wife said no lie. I'm not kidding you. This is what she said. If I'm lying, I'm dying. This is what she told me. She goes, Aaron. I go, yeah, baby. She goes, she goes, stop playing. And I'm like, I'm not playing right now. Like I've just ingested like three gallons of olive oil in my body. I don't know if I can even process that. You ne- might need to take me to the hospital. She goes, I'm not taking you to the hospital, Aaron. Everything is a big deal with you, Aaron. It's always something with you, Aaron. Stop playing. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like trying to like, I'm trying to breathe. Like, you all know when you like try to get air, when you're like, you know, you just, everybody just take a big breath of air so you can know what I'm talking about. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Like, I'm like, and I'm like panic breathing. You know how they say like, you need to breathe when you're panicking? No, you don't. You need to calm down when you're panicking. Because I'm like breathing. I'm like, I'm like I'm losing my mind. And so I get up and start feeling along the wall. I'm not kidding you. I walk to my room. I open the door and I passed out. I, the last thing I remember is I went to my knee. I passed out. I hit my head on the wall and I was on the ground. I'm not kidding. I'm on the ground. So I've ingested, if you're missing, if you're just joining in online, if you missed it, I've ingested a lot of olive oil to flush out my body with gallbladder symptoms. I'm on the ground now, passed out from too much olive oil and grapefruit juice and herbs and spices inside of of me. My wife comes over to me. I remember this. I remember it like it was yesterday. I come over. The first thing I remember is my wife coming over here, slapping my face, slapping my face, waking me. She goes, Aaron, Aaron. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, huh? And she, I wake up. I, the moment I open my eyes, she goes, Aaron, Aaron. And I go, yeah? And she goes, stop playing. And I'm like, I'm on the ground, passed out. And she goes, I don't, I'm not going to deal with this, Aaron. You need to stop messing around. Stop being dramatic. And I'm like, I'm, I passed out. I'm like, are you going to take me to the hospital? She goes, no, I don't accept this. I'm not, you're not even, there's always something with you. And she walked out of the room. And so, you know, eventually I got over it. I don't know what even how I processed it, but it was bad. And so, but I realized like in that moment, I just wanted my wife to accept the fact that I was going through something hard in my life, you know, and, uh, and she didn't. <laughs> she didn't. And uh, it's hard, right, to, to be rejected from the people that you love the most. Um, you know, this story is interesting in the Bible because what's interesting about it is it gives us a couple of types of rejection that you and I feel maybe or have felt or will feel in this world because you and I live with people. The first one is this, is you see the brothers deal with what I call active rejection. They deal with what I call active rejection. It says, neither has the Lord chosen this one. I mean, this is really you presenting yourself to someone or something and then they say, uh, No. Really, right? Like, it's, it's, 
you, um, I've, I've met grandparents who will invite their kids over or grandkids over all the time, and they always say, we're busy. It's when you were a younger teenager or college kid and you're, or you're single and you're trying to get a date, you ask someone out, you present yourself, right? And you're like, would you like to go on a date with me? I mean, like, that's the hardest sentence for a single person to say for some people. And they say, come on, they say that, that statement, come on, ladies, you guys have perfected this. I'm just like washing my hair, right? You know, stuff. No, right? No, bro, you ain't, it ain't going to work. Or, or, or like um, it's the college rejection. Come on, y'all know, because you have to send out a bunch of letters. Why do you have to send out a bunch of letters? Because you mostly get rejected by them. In fact, they call them college rejection letters. It's you ability to present yourself, but you, you get actively to your face. You're not good enough. Now, I know that's happened to many of us in here. Second type you see here is what I call a, a, a sort of passive rejection. This is what David feels. This is not even being considered. It's one thing to present yourself and be like, well, at least I was a part of the process. At least I was able to get in the line to be picked for kickball. This is where they didn't even invite you to the line because they were like, hey, bro, you're terrible. We're not even going to have you part of the game. David felt that rejection. Could you imagine your dad was asked by someone incredibly important in the world to present his sons, listen to this, to present his sons to him to see if they were worthy. And your dad didn't even invite you to the part where they pick them. They, he, told, he said, look, you're not going to even get picked. You might as well just keep the sheep. I mean, that's painful. Because it comes from his dad. This is you not even being considered. Maybe you're in a job, right? And, and you just wanted to be, you saw your, your, your cubicle person mates, right? They got the promotion and you weren't even considered for it. You were, you were, you were passed over. Maybe your dad never played with you, never told you he loved you, never encouraged you, never said he was proud of you, never wanted to be a part of your life. Never, he never maybe actively rejected you, maybe never told you to your face you weren't good enough, but he never told you that you were, you were good enough. Come on. And so you, you can relate to David because you weren't even invited to the, to the dance. Maybe that one I get asked the most, I, I'm not kidding you, me and Pastor Jason and our staff, we have to deal with the most interpersonal communication and issues with people is that you and I will go onto social media and you'll scroll and you'll scroll and you'll scroll until you find your friend who had a party without you and you didn't get invited. I mean... There was a, a, an event. They were at the river. Why didn't I get invited to the river? Why wasn't I invited to the party? Why wasn't I invited to the, to the celebration? Why didn't I get invited to that trip? Come on. And you see all the people. Have you ever noticed how you do that in a picture? You'll look at the picture with all the people, and then you zoom in. Don't act like you don't do it. Come on. And you push the button, and then you zoom in, and then you start to scroll. Oh, I know that person. I know that person. Oh, oh yeah, I know that person. Why wasn't? Come on. Come on. I told you I'd be digging stuff up today. And you looked at it and you go, why wasn't I invited? What's funny about all of our rejection types, Jesus felt it all. 
There's an interesting scripture inside John chapter 15, and he says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, if the world hates you, just remember, they hated me first. He says, well, when you get rejected, just remember I was rejected before you were rejected. And I was rejected in a way you'll never be rejected. And so just so you know, I, I felt all the feelings that you have. He said, and you go back and look at Jesus' life, you're like, wow, he was rejected. He was rejected before he was even born. He was trying to be born, and he couldn't find no place to actually get born. You can see, literally, the Bible says he was rejected in Bethlehem. Like, he couldn't find, he, did, he was so rejected, he had to be born in a manger with some cows and some horses and stuff. Then, then the Bible says that he was, um, he was ridiculed in his own hometown. There's this one time. He goes to his own hometown. He goes to Nazareth. People know him. The people who should have been with him the most. His, his boys, his people, his team, his tribe. The people who should have loved him, accepted him, brought him in. He should have done more miracles. And the Bible said that he actually could do only certain miracles there. He was limited in his capacity, not for nothing else but rejection. And then, and, then, and then he goes on and he does this ministry and he builds this ministry that changes the world for eternity. It's why you and I are here. And so he has disciples who are walking with him and are, they're, they're just they're riding with him. And they're like, we got you, Jesus. Don't worry. Everything you do, we'll be right there with you. And Jesus goes, really, Peter? Because I know what's going to happen with you. Because in my moment of greatest need, you're going to do what they all do. And they're all going to say, Jesus, who? And the rooster crows. I always wonder about Peter. I always wonder what he felt when the rooster crowed. Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you're going to going to deny me not once, not twice. I'm going to give you options. I'm going to give you time. I'm going to give you a chance to turn. Three times. I always wondered when, when Peter denied and rejected Jesus in his time of greatest need, what did Peter feel when the rooster crowed? And then Jesus is in front of the the officials for his trial. And amazingly, there's this moment where they ask the crowd, should we release Jesus who we can't really prove he did something wrong? Or should we release this guy named Barabbas who we can prove all day long he did something wrong? Jesus is standing in front of the crowd, the people that he, was, he came to the earth for. Could you imagine standing in front of the crowd? And Jesus is saying, I'm here for you. And they go, well, how about that guy? And then Jesus is on the cross. So I'm, just, I'm trying to picture, I'm trying to get you there. Because you, you and I, here's the problem with serving a God you and I can't see. Is you and I think he doesn't feel you. God, you don't, you don't understand. How many of us have all said that? God, if you only understood my pain, he's hanging on a cross, and the only person in human history who could actually verify and tell and know and have a moment when God actually turns away from him. And he says those words that should bring chills to your spine. My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Taking all the sin of the world. Jesus. The Bible says, it's crazy. The Bible says, um, we have a high priest. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet you do not sin. For those of you who come from a Catholic background, and you have like that idea of a priest, the, the great thing that Jesus does, is that what Christianity does, it doesn't eliminate the priest. What Jesus does is he becomes the high priest. We all needed a priest. We all needed a mediator between us and God. But then Jesus comes and becomes the, the high priest. Y'all hear what I'm saying? He becomes the, the priest. He becomes the mediator. He becomes the person that you and I have now access to God. God. And so what's so great is he becomes this high priest who, I like even other translations say, he is a high priest who cannot be touched by the feeling of my infirmity. That there is a pain that comes with rejection and living in this world. And you and I have a high priest who felt that pain and now connects us to the only God in the universe who can help us through it. Jesus understands. You and I maybe are never close enough or never closer to Jesus than when we feel rejected. Every pain you feel, Jesus felt. And so it could lead us to some unintended consequences, can't it? Because if you're not careful, you can lead, you could start to live your life from rejection and, and you've met people who do that. If you've met people who do that, they do, they, do, they do silly things. They ask bad questions. It's like when you feel rejected, you ask bad questions. I don't know, like teachers always tell you, there's no such thing as a bad question. That's a lie. There are bad questions. <laughs> there are dumb questions. There are. I'll give you some. In a moment of rejection, these are some bad questions. Just, just an example. Um, why don't they like me? What's wrong with me? Why am I not good enough, smart enough, talented enough, pretty enough, good-looking enough? Come on. What, fill that line with whatever. And when you ask, here's why they're bad questions. Those, they never get answered. They never get answered. And so you don't ask questions that can't get answered because if they can't get answered, you ultimately start to live your life on assumption and presumption. And what that does, when you ask bad questions, it leads you to making poor decisions for your life. In fact, maybe the worst decision that it leads you to is actually an ugly word called compromise. It, it leads you to actually trading anything in the world that you can, including your values and including the way that you believe, just so that you will be accepted by that person. And have you ever noticed that the moment you make a compromise on your values, bad things happen? Anybody else? It's like when you're out with your boys and you know that you shouldn't have that eighth drink and they have, they're on their 20th drink and they're telling you what? Come on, man, catch up. And then you wake up tomorrow in another city and you don't know what happened. Come on. What did you do? You asked a dumb question. In that moment, you felt, I want to be accepted. I don't want to be rejected right now. There might be something wrong with me. I should just trade what I know to be a value in my life and actually do what they're doing so that I can feel accepted by them. And if I feel accepted by them, then all my problems will be solved, says everybody who makes a dumb decision. And so we, we do stuff like that. Instead of you going and inviting someone to lunch with you so that you can have a friend at work, you eat in your cubicle alone. 
Or you're on a date, come on, and you, you, that guy's pushing you to do and push past your boundaries. And you just want to feel loved and pretty and accepted. Before you know it, you do things that compromise your own values. Why? In the name of acceptance. Because you're trying to live from rejection. And if we don't deal with it right, it could really mess us up. So, now that I made you all mad and reminded you of all the ways that you've been rejected. And um, it's good. I was telling somebody the other day, they're like, Pastor, how do you think about the topics? I, go, I just, like, find out what's wrong with me. And then, I, so I preach to me on Sunday, and hopefully it's good for you. <laughs> That's how I pick my topics. And so if y'all never get anything from it, I get something from it. I'm like, this is good, God. Amen. <laughs> awesome. Um, and so I asked God, God, how should we deal with rejection? He told me there's two things, two ways, two ways, two healthy ways to, to, to respond to rejection. Number one, when you feel rejected, come on, when you're scrolling through, when someone said no to you, when you got passed over, when you feel rejection, this is what you do. Number one, you should ask healthy questions, okay? Here's a couple of healthy questions. These are good questions to ask in the moment of rejection. This is not going to feel good. I'm, I'm going to make it worse. I'm sorry. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But I'm, I'm, this is a good question to ask. What part did I play in this? Because I know that like what's funny about pain is the moment you feel it and you feel the pain and the feeling of rejection, you want to get away from it. And then therefore you detach from it and make sure it's about everyone else and not about you. And the problem with that is you could have played some part of it. I'm not saying always. I'm not saying ever. I'm just saying what sometimes feels like rejection is really correction from God. Sometimes. And sometimes he's trying to help you be a better person, a better version of you. And what you feel like is, I wish they would just stop rejecting me and tell me I did bad things. No, no, like sometimes they're not rejecting you. They're just rejecting your irresponsible, bad habits and values. So, like, I'll give you an example. Sometimes people come to me and say, like, um, I didn't get the job. Went on the interview and I didn't get the job. I said, well, tell me about it. And I'll say something like, well, I was like, tell me, tell me how you, you go, well, I showed up late. I didn't brush my hair. I, I, told, I told the boss, I was like, yo, what's up, homie? How's it going, man, dude? And uh, yeah, so, you know, how much vacation time do I get? You know, and can I get like a raise right now? And they're asking all the, you see what I'm saying? And I'll be like, so you didn't get the job? So you didn't honor? Come on, right? You didn't honor the person who was trying to help you. And because you didn't honor them, you think they rejected you? No, they didn't. They rejected your bad habits. You planted a seed. You just reaped a harvest. Or you didn't get the job. You, know, you didn't get the, um, the girl because you tried that cheesy pickup line. Come on. You were kind of crazy. You, you, you acted kind of crazy. You treated her like a, an object instead of a person. And she didn't run into your arms. Like, no, just be a, be a human. Why don't you treat her with respect? Honor her. Be kind to her. You got an F on the test, and you think your teacher is out for you? And I'll ask you, how did, well, did you study? Well, no. Did you pay attention in class? No. Do you care about that class at all? No. You see what I'm saying? Like sometimes what we feel is rejection is really God maybe helping us bring to light correction in our life. Sometimes people do this with the church. 
I talk to people all the time, and I say, you know, I left that church, and I didn't really like it. I said, well, tell me about it. We're like, well, we never came in on time. We're always late. We always left early. We didn't talk to anybody, and we didn't uh, pay attention to the sermon, and we, uh, we were never volunteering. We never gave. We were never a part of the church. We just didn't like it. We never felt connected, you know? I'm like, really? Really? Yeah, I don't know if God really wanted us, wants us at church. I don't know if you really want you at church. You see? You see? And so sometimes we can confuse rejection for God correcting us and getting, bringing to light something you might need to actually adjust for the better version of you. I like what Galatians says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, they will also reap. Sometimes we get what we plant. Sometimes. Sometimes. Number two is this. This is a good question. So not like what part did I play? Is it divine protection? Like, okay, sometimes you and I could feel rejection in that moment. Could it be instead of you feeling rejection and like you didn't get what God was supposed to give to you, maybe it's God keeping you from like an, an issue. And what's, here's what's hard about all that. You don't know. Like you don't know. Here's what's crazy about God. God stands outside of time. We don't even understand that. We're linear, like there's a before, a during, and an after. God stands outside of it and sees all of it. So what we think is a bad idea or a bad thought or maybe a rejection moment, God's saying, no, no, that's good, because she would have destroyed your life. No, no, that's good. That job was killing you. No, no, honestly, you know what, Aaron, I'm telling you, that was so good that you felt that pain. And I'm like, God, why you let me feel the pain? <laughs> but, but, he's, but he's saying, no, it's good. This is good. I'm protecting you. I know you wanted to have fun. I'm protecting you. The other uh, day I was thinking about a couple years back, my twins were five, and we were in St. Louis, and um, we were going to uh, Six Flags, and um, Six Flags had a big... Uh, a water park next to it called Hurricane Harbor, and uh, it was awesome. So we went to this water park, and on, in Hurricane Harbor, there was this big giant slide called the tornado. Everybody say tornado, like it's exactly the way it sounds. It's amazing, right? And so my kids are walking up, and we're going to this like little kitty ride, and they look at this tornado thing, and I was so proud as a dad because I'm like, this is amazing. Because they looked at me and they said, Dad, we want to ride the tornado, and I said, Son, thou has pleaseth to me. Let us go. And so we walk up this thing, and we're walking up these stairs. I'm going to show you a picture of it. It's awesome. So this thing is tired to a tornado. It's like the size of Cleveland. Like, it's amazing. And so I'm like, this is going to be awesome. My kids are going to scream. It's going to be amazing. We're going to make a memory. So I'm like, all right, we get up to the top. And the, um, the, the ride operator looks at my kids, and he goes, mm, I need you, you guys to come over here. So he brought my kids over to, y'all know, the line where you kind of see how tall they are, right? So they get to the tall, and my kids go, and they do what all kids do. And, uh, and so they stand up really tall, and I'm like, and they're like, hey, guys, like, sorry, you're, you're, not, you're not big enough. You're not tall enough to ride the ride. And you, I mean, you would have just saw, if you want to see devastation on a child's face, you take them up to the ride. Like, I should have probably paid attention at the bottom. But, like, you take them up to the ride, get them all excited about something, and then, no, no, you're not going on the ride. You know, it's like, that's it. And um, they were so sad, and they were crying and brought them down. And they're like, Dad, I just want to ride on the ride. And I was like, dude, I know, man, but man, I don't, I don't, I don't, 
I don't think that's I don't think it's safe. I'm like, what do you mean? This is gonna be so much fun if I just get to run and run and run and that. You know, because they're like at high pitched moment time where it don't matter what you say to them. And, and so when they calm down, I said, I said, let me explain to you what what's what's happening here. Now this is funny about God. He never does this because I think he gives you an opportunity to trust him in the moment. And the younger you are, the more conversation you need to have with God for him to prove why he's to be trustworthy, by the way. So the more immature you are with God, the more he has to explain himself to you. That's free. That ain't even in my nose. Okay, so my kids are five. They're yet little, so I have to explain. Son, here's what happens. If you're not tall enough, you go on something like that, you can really get hurt because you're not developed enough to handle the muscles, to handle the ability to swing. If something happens, you never know. If you get underwater, you just, it's, not, it's a safety issue. What you, feel, what you feel right now, son, is actually protection. And I think God sometimes wants us to realize, hey, just because you got rejected in a moment of your life doesn't mean you didn't measure up. It just means that God could be protecting you from the very thing that could be hurting you if you're not careful. So it could be divine protection. And honestly, I would say this, for a life of a believer, this is just something to think about. For a life of a believer, you and I might need to get better at feeling rejection. There's a, an interesting scripture in Galatians chapter 1. It says, for am I now speaking, seeking the approval of man, this is Paul talking, uh, or of God, because he, he, he kind of compares and contrasts. He says, you're going to have to seek approval for somebody are you seeking it for man or are you seeking it for God? He says, well, who, who, am I trying to please man or if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He compares and contrasts that you and I live in a day. I don't know if you felt this or feel like this whenever you notice society. It's not exactly getting more Christian. I'm not watching the things I watch and the things I see in our world today. It's not like, wow, we seem to be really like as a society really becoming more godly. Like, it seems to be more holy in the world. It's amazing. Like, I'm so proud of our world. Like, I'm more ashamed of our world the more I see all the values and the systems and the things that have happened to it. What I see is less godliness. So in order for me to be just to keep my own godliness, you got to recognize and understand you're going to be rejected. So at some point, we have to get made up in our minds. Like, either I'm for God or I'm for man. And sometimes that can be okay and be together. But sometimes it don't. And I'm going to have to learn how to be okay with that. And here's how I, I believe you can. The second way, so you ask healthy questions and I'm done. You need to respond in healthy ways. You need to respond in healthy ways. Jesus knew you and I would be rejected. So he left us a really interesting antidote, a prescription, if you will, on what to do when you feel rejected. Matthew chapter 10, it says, and whoever will not receive you, whoever rejects you, or here's your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. I'm going to say shake it off. Taylor Swift didn't invent that. Jesus invented that. T-Swizzle stole that thing, man. You know what I'm saying? I asked God about that. I said, God, that sounds like Christian way of saying, just get over it. How am I going to tell the church, just get over it? That seems mean. So I was praying about it, and I was like, I said, God, 
Do, do, you, do you guys do this? You, you say, God, you, I know you felt pain, but you, ain't, you didn't feel this. Anybody do that? Just me? Okay. I say, God, you didn't feel this. You didn't go through this. And he goes, go back to the scripture, Hebrews. Actually, I did. I said, well, if you felt this, then I can't just get over it. Thanks for the prescription, but that doesn't work for me. He says, now you're reading it wrong. He says, this is how you shake it off. He says, you got to feel it first. You got to feel it. He says, to shake it off means to take a step while you're hurting. That's different than get over it. He said, because you got to feel it. He said, Aaron, don't, don't push past the pain. You should feel the pain, Aaron. I said, God, I don't like pain. He goes, no, no, it's good. He goes, you got to feel the pain. He goes, if you, if, you, if you brush past it too fast, you'll stuff it, you'll ignore it, and it'll come back with a vengeance one day if you don't deal with it. And every counselor and therapist in the world will tell you that scientifically. But God invented that, just so you know. So he said, he said you have to feel it. No, no, feel it. It's okay. He, he was saying to me, Aaron, it's okay to not be okay. He said, but just, just don't stay that way. It's okay. For every person, for every person who's, who's not okay right now. Listen, listen, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay. I don't understand your pain. Jesus understands it. It's okay. It's okay to not be okay. He says, just don't stay that way. You have to shake it off. You, you have to take a step. I, I said, what does that mean? He says, you can't shake it off of your foot unless you take a step. So you know how you did it is you take a step and then you, you did this, right? But you can't do that unless you take a step. He said, so you got to do it while you're hurting and you got to do it while you're in pain. And when you do that, what you'll find is that as you take a step, what, what, the moment you take a step, you know what the next thing you do? You take another step. You shake it off. And then you know the next thing you do after that? This is deep thoughts of Pastor Aaron. You, you take another step, and then you shake it off. And then tomorrow when you wake up again, and another attack happens, and another fear, and another anxiety, and another moment, and another uh, situation, you're going to have to take Come on, take a step while you're hurting. And, and sometimes, sometimes it's the steps that we take. Before you know it, you look up, and you're not in the valley anymore. You're not in the darkness. Jesus felt everything. And you know what he had to do before he was killed? After they, they beat him to a point where he couldn't be recognized, you know what he had to do while he was in pain towards his destiny? Y'all know. He had to take a step. And, and that's the prescription for us if you're going through something is not to give up is that your destiny is on the other side of you taking a step while you're hurting. To shake it off means to take a step while you're in pain. I'm sorry for the rejection that you feel. As a pastor, I hurt for you. But as a pastor, I encourage you, take a step with Jesus.